0: Hello and welcome to the Pixel Swim podcast, episode 52. I am Steve Heinrich, your host, and this is the podcast where I take a dive th- into my personal journey through design and technology and where they meet, plus other tidbits that I find interesting. This episode is being recorded on January uh, Wednesday, January 16th, 2019, and will be released on Thursday, January 17th, 2019. Visit Pixelswim.com for all of the show notes and social links and ways to get in contact if you want to leave feedback or follow along with the episode. Some of the links that I'll put in the description, that's where you can find them. So. Again, that's Pixelswim.com, and you can email me at Steve at Pixelswim.com, or I'm on Twitter or Google Plus or MeWe, or there is also a feedback or a comment section on the show notes page on Pixelswim.com, so you can go there and head for episode 52 to leave feedback on this episode. Always appreciated. So, all right, so let's dive into the weekly notes, feedback, and links for this episode, episode 52, which if you're counting them up on... on your hands, is actually my one year episode. So 52 weeks in a year, 52 weeks in a row, one year for the Pixel Swim podcast. So we've made it. We made it. Anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that it's been a year since I started this. Uh, I actually bought the microphone originally when I was about the when I was thinking about starting the podcast. I bought the microphone on December 1st of 2017. And I know that because it was in my, my eBay purchase history. actually got the it's called the Lix Pro H H M U ten. So yeah, real uh, snazzy name there. But I got this microphone because it was about thirty dollars, and I just wanted something a nice or a, a USB microphone to get started with the podcast. Uh, so I ordered that in in December, early December, and didn't. It just kind of sat on my on my tech shelf here with all my other cords and gadgets and things that I didn't really use it uh, until I actually finally decided to to get started on the podcast on January 4th. I recorded and released the episode zero zero zero, which was the welcome episode so technically not episode one, technically not when the podcast started necessarily, because it was actually a few weeks later, a couple weeks later. The first episode was on January 25th, so Thursday, January 25th, 2018, which a week from now, I mean, that'll be 53 from a week from now, but you get it. It's been a year, so a year worth of, worth of shows. And of course, that first episode was called The Smartphone Start Phone. I talked a lot about my HTC T-Mobile G1 on that episode and yeah it's been a crazy fact it's 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 just crazy that I'm here at a year in already I didn't it's it's really worked out quite quite well as far as the accountability and and the consistency of me posting these episodes I over the years I've really I've, I've wanted to kind of have a written blog or a written sort of, you know, approach to getting my thoughts and ideas out there. And I've tried so many times to get that going, but it just it hasn't worked. Out. It just hasn't worked out over the years. I, I've never actually been able to keep myself accountable for writing new content. And it it wasn't the best way, I think, for me to get my thoughts and ideas out there. And of course, as podcasts be- have become a huge outlet for all sorts of information And it's a lot quicker as far as the amount of time to that needs to be put into these things. And it's definitely more technical. So that was way more appealing than just typing things out. So overall, the podcast has really been successful, you know, regardless of how many people have been listening, regardless of all that, just from my perspective, my personal perspective, it's really been a success in my head because of how many I've done. I've, I've already you know way surpassed any sort of blog that I've tried to, to start or to write or anything like that. So it's just this is clearly my 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 jam this this podcast is is the best way for me to go about creating content. So I'm grateful to be here at one year. But anyway, I actually may record that, re-record that welcome episode. I I haven't even listened to it, I think, since I posted it back in early January of 2018. So I'm not exactly sure what I said in it. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to that, maybe re-record it, kind of make it a little bit more accurate to what the podcast has kind of become in case there's any people jumping on board late, and they kind of want to get a better idea of what what they're getting into. (laughs) And it'll probably just end up being an apology for like the first 20 episodes and and how unpolished a lot of stuff is. But regardless, I feel like I've come a long way in a year. And I'm just happy to celebrate a year of the pixel swim podcast. So thank you for joining me with in that and I'm just uh, grateful for it. All right, so let's jump into feedback after the last episode so on the on pixelswim.com I got feedback from Frank Needhart on the show notes page in the comment section and Frank reached out about the fact that he also uses Microsoft Rewards because I talked a little bit about how that's the only real sort of rewards program or sort of thing that I that I actually participate in and so he also uses Bing as his main search engine, just like I do. <laughs> I'm sure there's quite a few people out there who do that for the, you know, for the, the points that they get that that add up over time. And he, he says that Bing it actually has less spam results, which is really true. And he says that the video section on Bing, as far as the video search, has more than just YouTube. It has things like Vimeo and stuff like that. And that I knew. I just you know, from all the stuff that I've looked up, it's mostly been YouTube videos. Uh, even Google, even Google's video section doesn't always have just YouTube videos. It's just that YouTube is, a, you know, the biggest player in the game as far as video content goes. So a lot, of course, a lot of search results for video or video search results are going to be YouTube. So thanks, Frank, for reaching out about that. And thank you to Mike Latori for reaching out via email to kind of give some feedback on the Google surveys, which I found is actually the Google Opinion Rewards app. So I wasn't sure exactly how all of that works. So it is an app that you install on your phone. And then Mike kind of got back to me with a little bit about how all of that works. And so he said he's had the app on his phone in the past. And that basically, all of the tracking and stuff that Google Maps does on your on your phone, where how it knows where you've been, and it Kind of pops up suggestions on based on the places that you've been. I guess it works kind of off of that, as far as far as what I gathered from what Mike says and and gives you surveys based on the kind of the, the the retail stores that you've been by that kind of thing, to answer questions about those like simple individual questions. And that that part, as far as answering just like one question at a time, is something that I've I kind of knew that, but I I didn't really know how how the surveys work so it does it sounds like it is dependent on whether you go around and shop a lot in retail stores and have all of that google tracking in maps and 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 stuff turned on so that's definitely not something that i am going to take part in necessarily because i really don't (laughs) i don't get out of the house a ton so for me i don't think that the google opinions or surveys would be something that I would I would take part in just because I think it wouldn't be wouldn't be lucrative. And I guess and Mike mentioned also that they ask specific questions to kind of verify that you have actually been shopping and that you can potentially be if you don't answer them correctly, you could potentially be cut off, put potentially per permanently which, yeah, not (laughs) it makes sense because they're trying to get accurate information. You know, I, I don't blame Google for doing that because people abuse these reward systems all the time. And it's not something I'm interested in doing. Mike said he's not really interested in abusing the system either. So it's it's kind of a no go for me. And, uh, Yeah, if anybody else has any, you know, positive feedback with that, I know people who are out traveling around a lot, who are doing a lot of shopping, probably would benefit from that sort of thing. But for me, I just don't think that it's, it's worth the time. Like I was saying, so thanks, Mike, for reaching out about that. That was a perfect uh, explanation of how that works, and definitely have a clear idea of the fact that (laughs) I probably won't be using that. But I will put a link to the app in the show notes if you want to jump over to the Android store and install that. I don't know if it's on iOS. Um, might be, but either way, I'll put the link to the to the Google Play store if that's something you'd be interested in. So check out the show notes for that. And then the last bit of feedback is from Guillermo Ortiz. He asked on MeWe, actually. So I've got one feedback from the website, one from email, one from MeWe. So thanks, Guillermo, for reaching out. He was asking about what brand of screen protector I use if I use any at all and so this is actually something in the last maybe six months to a year or so maybe since I started the podcast ish is is that I've actually kind of I've stopped using screen protectors on my on my phones just because I I really want to enjoy the display and I've never really liked having a screen protector on the device Uh, most and I think a big reason that I was putting them on there was to keep the the screen from getting scratched uh, to keep the resale value up. And so I just wasn't really enjoying the phones as much. And and honestly, in the past, since I've gotten this LG G6, I feel like the phone screens don't scratch nearly as easily as they as they used to. So it's not as big as big a deal. It's you're not generally going to get a giant gash in the screen as easily as you would with an older device. So I think that all that Corning Gorilla Glass stuff is actually holding up and and getting better over time. Now on my wife's phone, we do still use a a heavy duty case and a screen protector because she she tends to drop her phone (laughs) a little bit more. So it's just a, you know, it's a good idea to do that because otherwise it could crack or get huge gashes in the screen and, and the body and stuff like that. But when I do use a screen protector, I actually go for a brand called Illuma Shield, and I found I've just came across them one time, I, on eBay looking for screen protectors for I don't I don't remember which device. Uh, it's been a little while, over maybe a couple years that I've used the brand Illumishield. Shield, and part of the reason that I went with them is because they they tout on the packaging that it's anti bubble because the t- they're the type of screen protector I like to use is basically just the thin floppy plastic screen protectors standard screen protector and I've never had a really good experience with the tempered glass screen protectors uh, I did have a, a good experience on one device I don't remember which one it was but it overall I just I, I haven't really liked the the bulkiness of the, the tempered glass screen protectors that I've had. And it's just another thing to crack. I don't know. It's just, they're not for me. I kind of just like the, the standard thin floppy plastic ones. And so Shield makes a really good one in general. The, it is pretty bubble free when you're applying it. So it does, does, doesn't leave a bunch of bubbles under this, under the, the screen protector when you're applying it. So unless there's, a you know, a huge piece of dust that you didn't see, <laughs> which is always the case well, when trying to put those on. So I've gotten I was just getting really good at, at putting screen protectors on with where you could barely tell that they were on there when I decided to kind of stop doing that just because I really am enjoying. I like to enjoy the screen on them and I've kind of slowed down in my phone buying. So it's kind of like the resale value isn't as important anymore. I just want to enjoy the device so i don't really put those on there anymore but yeah that's a luma shield i'll try and find a link and put that in the show notes so you can see the at least the packaging and the brand of them i think they make them for most devices and they make a few different types there's you know like the uv filter one i think (laughs) i don't know it cuts out the the light to kind of you know reduce eye strain and then they have the matte finish ones which I've had a matte finish screen protector in the past and those are really strange <laughs> yeah I don't know not my preferred I kind of just like to go for the ultra clear glossy ones that are you know more like just a thin protective layer of smooth oleophobic coating glass on there so I know they're not glass they're plastic but Either way, check out the show notes for a link to a Shield, which is my preferred brand of screen protectors. And thanks to Guillermo for reaching out about that. And you know what? Actually, if you check out the show notes, too, I am going to put a link to Guillermo's podcast, the Tech Surge podcast that he puts out with uh, he goes over some tech news, you know, in a nice, short, quick podcast, he goes over some interesting articles. So I've been enjoying that. And I will put a link to that in the show notes, and the uh, RSS feed. So you can add that right into your podcast app and uh, check that out. Uh, So thanks again, Guillermo for the feedback and check out his podcast. All right. So that's all the feedback after the last episode. I just wanted to note next that I have been watching a bunch of the the channel on YouTube, the Techmoan videos on YouTube. So I think I got turned on to the Techmoan YouTube channel by uh, Noah Lambert when I had him on and he actually brought that on the show here. And I'm sure a lot of people have probably already heard of it. I mean, Tecmo has a ton of subscribers. So but it was something that I hadn't necessarily seen before. So I subscribed to it back then and I never really watched any of the videos up until recently. And really, the Roku stick (laughs) has really open. It's a lot easier to watch YouTube on a TV as far as discovering content and And watching videos and stuff like that. So I've been watching a lot of the Techmoan videos. And if you don't know what his channel is about, he's he in general, though, at least the ones that I've watched of are he kind of goes over some strange technology or or things that have been kind of a blip on the map of technology in the past. And so I have a few of the my favorite ones that he's done because he does a lot of retro technology. He'll go over, especially like video, like uh, Beta Disc and, and and stuff like that, and even stuff that's even rarer or stuff that wasn't widely used or stuff that was, like I said, just kind of a blip on the technology radar. It's, his channel is really like an archive of all the technology ideas and and things that were tried in the past. That didn't necessarily make it to wide popularity so there's a lot of interesting stuff on there a lot of interesting ideas and technology so definitely to out of course I'll put a link to the Techmo channel in the the show notes but either way there was a few things that I would because I've only watched you know maybe 10 or 15 of his videos and that's actually a lot putting in a lot of time because they can be 20 minutes to you know 20 to 30 minutes long so takes a while to watch them, but they're very interesting. He does a great job of going completely going over a product. And so one of the things that I thought was interesting, it wasn't a piece of retro tech. This is actually fairly recent, was the La Metric Time. And that is like a clock that sort of like a smart clock scrolling display thing. And I'll put again, I'll put a link to all of his videos for these in the show notes. And yeah, I was really interested in that one because I thought it's a kind of a neat clock that you can there's a whole bunch of settings you can use in the app on your phone to display weather to display time news tweets that kind of thing and and obviously the date and stuff like that just a cool I think it's a really cool clock (laughs) honestly it's really expensive though I think it's still like from 170 to 200 depending on where you get it but it's a very I I would definitely want to buy one of these maybe in the future at some point, maybe if there's an upgrade to it or something like that. But it's almost like a a grid of LEDs that kind of create sort of that 8-bit art kind of thing. I, w- I don't think it would be 8-bit or that high, but it's just interesting. Check out the video review that he did on that. Just a, a cool, interesting thing. And of course, he did the. This is another thing that kind of got me piqued my interest, because <laughs> if you remember in the past, I talked about in the gaming episodes how I wanted the TV tuner for the the Sega Game Gear. And he actually reviewed a Wi-Fi digital TV tuner. So basically, it's a TV tuner that you can connect the, an antenna to and then watch on your tablet or phone via a specific app. Another interesting thing, but this that piqued my interest because I actually have thought about, you know, over the air digital TV on on my Android device. And so I kind of scoured through Amazon a little bit to see what kind of TV tuners are out there for over the air programming to load into, you know, to to feed into an app on my Android device. Just just out of curiosity, mostly. I mean, obviously, I have TVs hooked up to an antenna at my house here, but. This, you know, just kind of takes mobile TV to another level. You know, there's all these these free channels just hovering out there in the air. Why not hook up an antenna to your phone and and port in or not port in, but, you know, pick those up via antenna in, into your Android device? Just again, this is something that's not necessary, but maybe in the future I might try out a cheap tuner for Android. And the last thing that I thought was kind of interesting that one of the reviews that I watched was the Wiki Reader, Wiki Reader, which is an offline Wikipedia device. It's literally just kind of a QWERTY keyboard with a very simple display that holds all of Wikipedia's information on it. And originally it was supposed to come with updates to it, Uh, I guess. he, But he in the video, if you watch the video, he actually found somebody who is continuously updating The file that gets loaded into this wiki reader that contains all of Wikipedia's information on it. It's, you know, it's your offline Wikipedia, which is kind of crazy. There's a lot of information on Wikipedia, but I thought that was kind of a neat device. And of course, he always he tears down the device and to look at the insides and see what's in it. And just overall, really I definitely have been enjoying the tech Moan channel. I think he does a great job, thorough job. And he's, you know, he's got a sense of humor about things and just a very interesting channel if you're interested in tech. And even if you're not, it's just kind of cool to see these these sometimes fads that didn't make it into the mainstream. But I thought I'd mention that because I've been watching those videos a lot lately. And of course, it's technology related. And so, yeah, really fascinating stuff. So check out the show notes for the Techmone link to the Techmone channel on YouTube. It's definitely worth subscribing to if you're into that sort of thing, which I definitely am. All right, so the next note on my list here is that I've ordered the battery case and the ring key TPU case for my LG G6. So last time I was mentioning or I mentioned that I had a cart full of cases for my LG G6. And two of them I'm going to wait on. I'm going to wait on the Diztronic and Oblique TPU cases for now, just because I didn't, I don't know, I just couldn't justify getting all of them now. So I thought I would start off with at least getting the battery case, that 5,000 milliamp hour battery case, and the key case, which uh, has the port covers and the lanyard hole, and go from there and get those in try those out and if i still feel like i want those other cases then maybe i'll go back and order those at a later date but yeah i just wanted those are that are ordered and hopefully on their way soon so i can report back on those as far as how those are working with the g6 so hopefully that battery case will work and will be decent enough to use on certain days when i need the extra juice so Yeah, I thought I'd mention that, of course, because it's, you know, I've had that my adventures with the LG G6, and accessorizing it is part of the next part of the adventure. So, okay, so the next thing that I'm going to share is a link from All About Windows Phone. And this is actually from it's from a post by Steve Litchfield called my favorite Windows phone in 2019 is that 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 not a Lumia. <laughs> so this wasn't too surprising to me that this was Steve's pick for his favorite Windows phone in 2019. Uh, considering the slim pickings of of recent devices, it's no surprise that the Alcatel Idol 4 Pro is his favorite Windows phone device. And it's actually my favorite Windows phone device, Windows 10 device that I have now, Windows 10 mobile, that is. And yeah, the Alcatel Idol 4S in my case here in the U.S. is, of course, I picked that up at $99 when it was on super clearance sale on the Microsoft website here in the U.S., which is a crazy low price for the hardware specs on that phone. But of course, I mean, people will scream out it's not even worth that. (laughs) I think after I bought it, and posted the fact that I bought it on Twitter somebody I didn't respond to them I almost did but and I don't need that negativity but if somebody responded that it wasn't even worth that it's a useless phone so it, and that's not true the the even though the software is limiting as far as apps go it's still a great multimedia device it's still a great phone in itself and if you are not in need of huge you know app repository then you should be good to go with one of these Windows phones because you can supplement a lot of stuff with the with the edge browser. And of course, there's of course, there's limitations. But either way, it is my favorite phone, my favorite Windows 10 mobile phone in 2019 as well. And I think part of the reason I kind of stopped using it was the camera on it isn't that great. But specifically in the camera, I was having problems with HDR mode, which is, you know, the high, de- high dynamic range mode, which will help you get better photos and difficult lighting. And so in the past, when I have been, when I've used that HDR mode, it's basically, I put it in HDR, in HDR mode, take a, uh, snap the shutter and it would just freeze and never save and never do anything. It would just freeze up the camera and not save and not do anything. It's, it's like, it just, wasn't (laughs) it just wouldn't do anything completely useless to me in in HDR mode and the thing is is that camera kind of needs an HDR mode because it's not the best camera in the world already so if you're in slightly low light you definitely want the HDR option. So I've kind of just shelved the phone for a while. I turn it on every once in a while for updates. And and actually, in this last time that I turned it on and I updated it, and I don't know if this is related to the update or some other thing, but the HDR mode is actually working fairly well now. It's still kind of slow, but it actually is usable. So I don't know what happened. I'm not sure why, but uh, it's kind of made me relook at that device and It's definitely my my second go to device as far as if I need a backup or if I'm just feeling like I want to switch off of Android for a while and just go all in on Windows phone again. You know, since I've kind of moved over to Microsoft services, it might even be a little bit more smooth over there, especially because I imagine in the future that a lot of the Google services probably won't be able to connect anymore because the, the lack of. You know, support in that arena. But either way, uh, check out the link to Steve's post on AAWP for that. And there's a good 50 comments on it already now. A few of them are mine and just an interesting read and kind of a sad state of the fact that there's only so many Windows phones to choose from that are that are up to date. So officially anyway. All right. So I have another link here uh, and I'm actually going to read this article because I kind of re- it kind of resonated a lot with my feelings towards <laughs> web design and and software design and stuff like that. Not that I'm a software designer, but basically this article is called "The Ethics of Web Performance," and this is by a guy named Tim Cadleck on timcadlech.com. This is his personal website. It looks like here. And he is a web developer, consultant, and trainer focused on building a web everyone can use. So again, title of it is The Ethics of Web Performance. This was written on January 9th, 2019. And so I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna read this because I think it a lot of it resonated with how I feel about heavy websites and, and the infrastructure that the the web contains today that is kind of overbearing for older hardware and stuff like that, or just even lesser hardware. It doesn't even have to be old anymore, but either way, he kind of puts an ethical twist on on that idea. And so basically, yeah, here, let me, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll read it. So again, the, the Ethics of Web Performance by Tim Kadlec. So he says, one question I've seen posed a few times in the past several months is whether performance really is a moral or ethical concern, or if that's all heavy-handed exaggeration. It's a fair question, I suppose. Advocates of any technique or technology can be a bit heavy-handed when it suits them if they're not being careful, myself included. But I'm not sure if that's the case here. When you stop to consider all the implications of poor performance, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that poor performance is an ethical issue. Poor performance can and does lead to exclusion. This point is extremely well documented by now, but warrants repeating. Sites that use an excess of resources, whether on the network or on the device, don't just slow experiences, but can leave entire groups of people out. There is a growing gap between what a high-end device can handle and what a middle to low-end device can handle. When we build sites and applications that include a lot of CPU bound tasks, hi there JavaScript, at best, those sites and applications become painfully slow on people using those more affordable, more constrained devices. At worst, we ensure that our site will not work for them at all. Forget about comparing this year's device to a device a couple years old. Exclusion can happen on devices that are brand new as well. The web's growth is being pushed forward primarily by low-cost, underpowered Android devices that frequently struggle with today's web. I recently profiled a page on a Pixel 2 released in 2017 and an Alcatel 1X released in 2018. The two devices represent very different ends of the spectrum. The Pixel 2 is a flagship Android device, while the Alcatel Idol or Alcatel 1X is a $100 entry phone. On the Pixel 2, it took 19, approximately 19 seconds for the site to become interactive. On the Alcatel 1X, it took 65 seconds. Similarly, there is a growing gap between what a top of the line network connection can handle and what someone with a poor mobile connection or satellite connection can handle. We frequently position this issue as one around reaching a more global audience, and it often it is, but it can also hit much closer to home. My internet connection gives me somewhere around 3 megabits per second down. It seems blazingly fast compared to the 0.42 megabits per second download speed that Jake Archibald mentioned his relative getting or the 0.8 megabits per second download speed my in-laws get at their house. The cost of that data itself can be a barrier, making the web prohibitively expensive to use for many without the assistance of some sort of proxy technology to reduce the data size for them, an increasingly difficult task in a web that has moved to HTTPS everywhere. This isn't just hyperbole. When I worked with Radio Free Europe a few years back, it was staggering to consider that many of the visitors of the site were breaking the law, jumping through hurdles and risking their livelihood to access the site. Poor performance was not an option. The YouTube Feather story, where they improved performance and saw an influx of new users from areas with poor connectivity who could for the first time actually use the site, is well documented by now. Other companies have had similar stories that they're unable to tell. We can point fingers at the networks and businesses behind them all we want for the high costs associated with connectivity, but the reality is that we play our own part in this with the bloated web we build. Less often considered is the sheer waste that poor performance results in. Let's say that you're one of those people with a device a year or two old. The web runs a little slower for you than it does for those with the latest phone off the shelf. It makes sense. Hardware gets better, sure. But just as critically, sites are getting heavier and more computationally expensive. It's not just that an older device will be less equipped to deal with complexity of today's sites, but also that it's far less likely that the folks building those sites will have tested on your device. This is a point Senyid Bowles makes in his excellent book, Future Ethics. And this is a quote. Software teams can reduce the environmental impact of device manufacturing, even if they don't make devices themselves. Durable software not only saves the expense of frequent product overhauls, it also reduces the temptation of unnecessary device upgrades. Why buy a brand new handset when the old one works just fine? Or, for our specific purposes, why would I need an expensive device with higher-powered CPU if the sites and applications run well on a lower-powered device? Poor performance can also result in actually reducing the lifespan of the devices we do have, even if we are able and willing to suffer through the slowness. Anything that is taxing on the processor, JavaScript, high-resolution images, heavy layout costs, is going to be taxing on the battery as well, causing wear and tear on the device. It's not just the short shelf life of devices that is impacted by poor performance. Sanid also makes the case that performance also has an impact on energy consumption begin quote in 2016 video tracking scripts and sharing buttons caused the average website to swell to the same size as the original version of doom ballooning bandwidth and storage have fostered complacency that we can do without performance is conservation habits like compressing images reducing reducing HTTP requests preferring standards to third-party plugins and avoiding video unless necessary have well-known benefits to usability, but are also acts of environmental protection. End quote. Again, this isn't hyperbole. Just how much kilowatt hours are expanded per one gigabyte of data is up for some debate, depending on your method of analysis. In a 2012 paper, the American Council for Energy Efficient Economy stated, estimated the Internet uses five kilowatt hours on average to support every gigabyte of data. Let's run with that for a second. The median desktop site, 5 kilowatt hours, was not looking at the energy consumption of mobile networks, which is almost certainly significantly higher, is 1848 kilobytes. Let's say just 2 billion people, somewhere around 4 billion, are connected to the Internet. View 5 pages at that weight in a day. Surveys from 2010 showed the number to be around 10 sites on any given day, so I'm being overly safe here. That would be about 1,500,000 gigabytes of data transferred on a single day. Based on the 5 kilowatt hour energy consumption estimate, we're looking at spending 17.6 million kilowatt hours of energy to use the web every single day. When you look at the evidence, it's hard to see. One could argue performance doesn't have ethical ramifications. So clearly folks who have built with a heavy site are bad, unethical people, right? Here's the thing. I have never in my career met a single person who set out to make a site perform poorly, not once. People want to do good work, but a lot of folks are in situation where that's very difficult. The business models that support much of the content on the web don't favor better performance, nor does the culture of many organizations who end up prioritizing the next feature over improving things like performance or accessibility or security. There's also a general lack of awareness. We've come a long way on that front, but the reality is that a lot of folks are still not aware of how important performance is. That's not a knock on them so much as it's a knock on the way our industry prioritizes what we introduce to new folks who want to work on the web. I don't want it to sound like I'm making excuses for poor performance, but at the same time, I'm pragmatic about it because I've been there too. I've built sites that were heavier and less performant than I would have liked. It happens. That, it happens, doesn't make any of us bad people, but it does us no good to try and ignore the real repercussions of what we're building either. There are consequences to the way we build, real consequences felt by real people around the world. Performance is an ethical issue, and it's one each and every one of us can work towards improving. Okay, so that was the article. Again, I thought it was really good. It's a really interesting thing about people developing the web and, and just the the business structures and the models that are kind of making everything weightier, <laughs> mostly in these, these sort of tracking and advertising spectrum. But uh, if you want to check out the full article, which I read already, but in case you want to reread it, it will be in the show notes. Again, that's by Tim Cadleck. So very interesting. I thought it was, you know, overall, I mean, we use the web so much and uh, looking at the overarching picture of what all of it means as far as burning cons- and the consumption of energy and and the fact that not everyone in the world has a high speed connection is just, I think it's a, gr- you know, it's a good idea to have those conversations. So I just thought I would share this Cause I thought it, like I said, if I couldn't have written it honestly better myself, <laughs> very, uh, very good and well done article, very succinct and to the point. So check out the show notes for that. All right. So uh, next time I think on the podcast, I'm going to start wrapping things up here is uh, I'm probably going to go over my goals for the next year in, in my, my tech goals <laughs> for the next year. And so, yeah, I'll go over those next time uh, just so you can kind of get a, idea of what I'm going to talk about on the next show but either way I wanted to end with a with a considering it's my one year pod whatever you want to call it I'm gonna do another small giveaway so if you I didn't mention it at the beginning because <laughs> only true fans will be will still be listening at this point either way um, I'm gonna do a giveaway just real simple one nothing too complex here I am basically you can have your choice of anything from the Pixel Swim merchandise store that I have on Teespring. And so what I'm going to do is last time I set up a raffle copter widget on my website. And so there'll be a link in the show notes to get to that page where that raffle copter widget is. And basically that will let you enter to enter for your chance to win your choice of anything from the store. So basically, I think you'll just probably I don't even know if I if I have to see your email address if I don't and I can still contact you after you win then I will not require any sort of email address I'm not going to require any that you follow me on anything this is not that's I just not the kind of giveaway I want to do I'm not doing this for promotional reasons and to expand and stuff like that this podcast is still a hobby for me and it probably will remain that way for as long as I'm doing it. So I just wanted to say thank you by doing a giveaway of if you actually, if you want something from the Pixel Swim merchandise store on Teespring, then go ahead and head to the show notes and jump over to the page to enter the giveaway with the Rafflecopter widget. Just make it super easy to enter where you don't really have to give away any of your information to me or follow me or anything like that, like I was saying. And I'll say this, after the last time I did on episode... I think it was twenty. I gave away an Amazon Echo Dot. There was one entry for that, so they had a one hundred percent chance of winning. And yeah, so your chances are probably pretty good if you want to get something off and anything on there. uh, There's there's mugs and shirts and stuff like that. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll we'll get it ordered and shipped out to you. So if you're interested in that, you can jump over to that page and enter. And just know that after the winner is announced and I'll run this through, let me see the dates here. I'll probably run this through January 25th or, you know what, let's run it through, yeah, January 25th. Perfect. (laughs) I was just checking to see what the, when the first episode came out for the, my podcast here. So yeah, it was January 25th, 2018. So I'm going to run this, this giveaway through January 25th, 2019 so you'll have a chance to, to go on there and and enter up until then. And then uh, I believe it will be looks like the 30th the episode on Thursday, January 31st. I will announce the winner. So I hope I get a few more entries than I did last time, which was just the one. But yeah, like I was saying, anything on the Pixel Swim merch store uh, doesn't matter how much it is it's just whatever it, it, you want off of there it could be the sticker or I forget what's on there now. (laughs) I think there's a few, uh, lady shirts on there as well. Just because I did order some around Christmas time, I gave out a few Pixel Swim gifts, so I set those up on there. But either way, check out that. If you if you don't find anything on there that you like, don't enter. You know, it's that simple. And either way, I just appreciate everybody tuning in for so long. It's more than I could have asked for. So, all right. So let's just wrap things up. And as usual, go to pixelswim.com for all the show notes and. Social links and everything. I always mention that at the beginning and the end. So you can get in contact there if you are so willing. And yeah, just thanks for tuning in to episode fifty-two of the Pixel Swim Podcast. One year, fifty-two weeks in a row. We did it. <laughs> anyway, have a great afternoon or evening or winter by the fire, fireplace, chestnuts roasting on that open fire, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. So thanks again and Godspeed.